we've managed close to 4,000 patients in our office and with a vast array of conditions from you know, the children with cancer and Dervais and lennox gastel which are severe intractable seizures where they have 20 to 300 seizures a day, all the way up to the octogenarian with Parkinson's disease and everything in between, you know, patients with Alzheimer's, patients with post-traumatic stress disorder, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, ALS, Lugarics, Huntington's, Korea, Tourette's, a lot of neurological, because again, the cannabis helps control the severe neuropathies or pains or movement disorders. Welcome to the Regenerative Warrior Podcast, Doctor's Edition. One of the fastest growing regenerative medicine and anti-aging podcasts in the world. Each and every Tuesday and Thursday, I talk to the top experts to show doctors how to market, manage, and magnify their practice to help more people and make more money. Each episode is short and to the point without wasting your time with pointless conversation. Learn the skills to be successful without traveling to seminars or paying for expensive consulting fees. Are you ready? Because I am. I'm Dr. Ross Carter, and it's time to start the Regenerative Warrior Podcast now. Before we begin, have you ever considered publishing a book? Most medical professionals have really no idea how powerful a book can be to build their brand. It's a great way to show your expertise, to build your practice with clients that actually can afford your care, and finally, really make the money that you deserve. If you'd like to see how publishing a book can help you, simply go to drrosscarter.com and set up a consultation with me for free. Back to the show. Hi, this is Dr. Ross Carter with the Regenerative Warrior Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Joseph Rosado. Welcome to the show today. Good morning, or good afternoon, rather. <laughs> good afternoon. I guess it depends on where you are. <laughs> exactly. All right. So today's topic is going to be about cannabis and the use of it in regards to stress, anxiety, depression, which with the crazy times right now, especially, I don't know when anybody's watching this, but right now we're at the peak of the coronavirus here in the United States. Tell us a little bit about your background in this area and how you got involved in cannabis to begin with. Sure. I am a primary care physician by trade, but in 2010, when medical cannabis became legal in Arizona, one of my best friends reached out to me and asked me to be the medical director for a company that he was on the verge of starting because the law read that you had to have a medical director. And so he asked me to be his medical director. I said, absolutely. And so we started looking at the possibility of me relocating to Arizona, setting everything up. His wife said, I don't feel comfortable engaging in this type of activity or this type of a business with our kids being teenagers. It's like, okay. And we just kind of tabled it. Fast forward to 2014, when I started seeing the advertisements on TV for the decriminalization of medical cannabis in the state of Florida, I reached out to John Morgan, who was putting on the campaign and funding it, and said, I'm a physician, I'm an advocate, how do I get involved? And within a week, I was on the Bureau of Speakers, and pretty much the rest has been history. As a result of that and that exposure, I was the first in the state of Florida to recommend medical cannabis to a child, a 15-year-old that had a stage four rhabdomyosarcoma, a very, very aggressive tumor of the head and neck that had eaten out his, uh, his jaw, his cheek, his eye socket. He'd lost his eye and the tumor had penetrated into the brain, you know, had eaten the skull and it was into his brain. Now, why would someone prescribe cannabis for that 
what did it do for the child with that condition? Okay, well, the first thing we have to explain that we do not prescribe. Oh, okay. Well, medical cannabis in the United States, and I'll explain why. No, that's a very, very good mistake you made because it's a great segue. As physicians, we cannot prescribe a Schedule One drug because it's a violation of our DEA. We use our First Amendment right of freedom of speech where we recommend to patients the use of cannabis. Okay. Therefore, that 15-year-old child that received his medical cannabis, it was mainly to help his pain level because when he started with me, he was on a pain pump, a morphine pain pump, and was receiving 16 milligrams of morphine via bolus every X amount of hours. And once we incorporated the use of the cannabis, he was able to lower the dose from 16 to 8. And by doing so, it then gave him a better quality of life because now he was awake and alert. At 16 milligrams every two to four hours, he was laying in his hospital bed, drooling, looking at his crotch. So it gave him a quality of life that he would not have had had he not taken it. Correct. Obviously didn't really fix anything that was going on. It was just a way to tolerate the pain that he was going through. Is that correct? Right. Because again, it opens up your appetite. And we've known about that. Conventional medicine has known about it for years because we've used Marinol, you know, Dronabinol. And the FDA approval for that is for HIV AIDS patients with wasting syndrome, patients on chemotherapy or that have anorexia as well as for the nausea and vomiting related to the chemotherapy. So that's basically one of the ways it can be used is through pain. But how does it help with depression? Is first of all, like alcohol is depressant. Now, what is cannabis considered? Well, cannabis has been considered a quote unquote downer. Okay. Because it lowers revolutions, which is why it's so instrumental in patients that are undergoing stress and anxiety. Okay, that makes sense. But why would you do it for depression, though? Because it sounds like it, helps. it would worsen it. In a very small percentage of the cases, it can worsen it. And a study was done last year. It was published, rather, last year. And they gathered a group of individuals that had stress, anxiety, and depression. And as you agreed and affirmed that patients with stress and anxiety, their symptoms improved by almost 95%. 93.5% of the individuals that used cannabis had an immediate reduction in their stress and their anxiety. That makes sense. How long's the effect for? Is it just when you're using it that day? Well, it depends on the mode of administration that you're okay. using. Yep. For example, if you inhale it, which is the second fastest route of administration, the effects take anywhere between three and 10 minutes. However, it only lasts two to four hours. Whereas if you put a sublingual dropper and put some cannabis oil under your tongue, it'll take about 45 minutes to kick in, but it'll last four to six hours. If you take an edible in the form of a gummy or a capsule, it's gonna take about two hours for it to get into the bloodstream but that can last anywhere from six to 12 hours, depending on how you metabolize. Sorry for the interruption. If you're considering adding peptides to your practice right now is the best time. Learn which peptides work for which conditions and how to actually sell this to your patients. To learn more, go to learnpeptides.com. That's learnpeptides.com. Now our listeners get a 50% discount on this course. Just use 
uh, the code, which is my name, Ross, that's Ross, to get 50% off. Just go to learnpeptides.com to get started today. So a lot of people I know are involved in the CBD market. How is this different? Up until December 2018, before the Farm Bill 2018 was signed into law by President Trump, it was illegal to grow hemp in the United States. And so people were buying hemp from China, from the Ukraine, with questionable growing practices. And when they were coming to the United States, they were extracting the oils from that hemp. And as a result, there were a lot of patients that were getting ill because they had some heavy metals in there, some arsenic, some lead, some mercury, as well as pesticides that are not used here in the U.S. And so people were getting ill with that. And so as a result of that, among other things, the Farm Bill 2018 was signed into law. And now hemp can be grown in the U.S. and oils can be extracted from the hemp. And from there you get CBD. Now, you have three different tiers. You have an isolate, a full spectrum, and a broad spectrum. Isolate, the word says it, it just isolates CBD, but any phytocannabinoid. It can isolate CBG, CBN, THCV. These are all letters that are found, or phytocannabinoids. Phyto meaning plant, cannabinoid structures that work on the cannabinoid receptors in our body, because we produce cannabinoids, not THC or CBD, but anandamide, 2-AG, and these were discovered in the early 90s. So you have your isolate, which isolates CBD by itself, a full spectrum, and then the cross between the two is a broad spectrum. It has all of the benefits, everything that's found in a full spectrum without any THC. So that's what a broad spectrum is. Are they used differently? Yes, this leads to one of the questions you asked about working together or by themselves. It's better for them to work in conjunction with each other because there's a theory called the entourage effect where each one potentiates the effects of the other. So it works better in conjunction. So are you saying that it's better to do a full spectrum or broad spectrum? It's better to do a full spectrum or it's better to do a full spectrum with a little higher THC. You don't have to go to a 34 to 37% THC. You could be down in the five to 10% range, but in conjunction with all of the other phytocannabinoids to work on the different receptors. THC works primarily on the CB1 receptor, which is found primarily in the brain. CBD works primarily on the CB2 receptor, which is found in the peripheral nervous system. So CB1, brain and spinal cord, CB2, peripheral nervous system, and the immunity, the immune system. So the white blood cells, the reticuloendothelial system, which is made up of the spleen, the thymus, the tonsils, etc. Okay, so what is the differences for use? Which one would you use for what? It depends on the condition of the patient. It also depends on what the patient does for a living. If someone is a first responder and they are randomly urine drug tested, then that person cannot be on anything that has any cannabis in it. So those would benefit from either an isolate or a broad spectrum. But are they doing similar actions? Are they both for pain management? CBD works more as an anti-inflammatory. It has an anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effect, whereas THC tends to have more of an analgesic effect. 
So you would use CBD for inflammation. Inflammation and to block the oxidative stress that goes on from day-to-day -day life of any type of stress. Gotcha. And the cannabis would be for more the anxiety-ridden issues. And yes, exactly. For the anxiety issues, for the cancer patients that have the nausea, the vomiting, things like that. That makes sense now. I've never known the difference between the use of CBD and cannabis. So you're saying cannabis is actually female. Is that what you were saying with the plant? Correct. Cannabis is a female plant. And so from cannabis, then you get the subspecies, which are the sativa, the indicas, the hybrids, and CBD as well. So you can get all of that from the cannabis side of the spectrum. So you have family, the genus, the species, the subspecies. Okay. So when somebody gets cannabis, is it like a set amount of each or how is that determined? In the state of Florida, there are rules and regulations. So for example, if we recommend the flower, we are only allowed to recommend 2.5 ounces every 35 days. That's how the law reads in the state of Florida. If you go to a state like Colorado or California, that doesn't exist. There's no limit. No, there's no limit. So typically the standard recommendation is 20 milligrams, 10 times a day. So they have a window of 200 milligrams available to them on a daily basis. That way they never run out because orders in the state of Florida are written in 70 day increments. So they're allowed one order with two refills. So um, to a maximum of 210 days. A lot of my listeners are medical professionals. If somebody is a doctor and they're thinking they would somehow want to be involved in this to help their patients, or what steps should they go through if this is something they want to add to their practice or refer out? What's the thoughts there? Well, I consult physicians on the use of medical cannabis, not only in the United States, but abroad. As we started the show, I've been teaching internationally. Last year, I went to seven countries and three different states speaking on and speaking to physicians on the use of cannabis in their private practices. So if there's a physician out there that is looking to get involved in this or has been involved, but doesn't really know how to manage their challenging or difficult patients, that's where I come into play. You know, we've managed close to 4,000 patients in our office and with a vast array of conditions from, you know, the children with cancer, and Dravet's and lennox gastel which are the severe intractable seizures where they have 20 to 300 seizures a day, all the way up to the octogenarian with Parkinson's disease and everything in between, you know, patients with Alzheimer's, patients with post-traumatic stress disorder, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, ALS, Lugarics, Huntington's, Korea, Tourette's, a lot of neurological, because again, the cannabis helps control the severe neuropathies or pains or movement disorders. And so how would they find out more about that training? They can go to my website. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Please subscribe to be notified of all new episodes and also like and share this to help us grow. To find out more about this speaker, become a speaker on our show to have Dr. Carter present at your event or podcast, learn more about coaching, consulting, tissue allographs, exosomes, supplements, legal help, or how to create a million-dollar business card to dominate your local area, we're here to help you. Just text your name and your question to 561-962-1231. 
Write that down. That's 561-962-1231. Or you can go to our website at drrosscarter.com. That's D-R-R-O-S-S-C-A-R-T-E-R.com to learn more. Until next time, this is Dr. Ross Carter signing off. Signing off.